This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory to the Lord. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So like many other Christian churches around the world, we are today celebrating what we call the Feast of Christ the King on this last Sunday of the church year. And the focus of our liturgy, appropriately enough, is on kingship, understanding the ways in which Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, both now and in the age to come. But before we get to this important topic, which I promise we will, I want to confess some misgivings I have about what we're doing and why we're doing it. It's not that I have any doubts about the theological truth of the risen Christ's authority and power over all things. So you can put your cell phones away. There's no need to call the bishop about a heretical priest on the loose. I do indeed believe in Christ's reign over everything. But I am nevertheless slightly uncomfortable with how it is we have come to celebrate that truth on this particular day. So let me explain. For starters, I'm going to ask you to indulge me in making an observation about my own Episcopal tradition. As most of you know, I'm an Episcopal priest who's serving here at your pleasure as a Lutheran pastor because we have an arrangement between our two churches, but I am an Episcopal priest, and I have to say that Christ the King Sunday is not an officially authorized feast day for Episcopalians. As you no doubt know, the liturgical rule book for the Episcopal Church is the Book of Common Prayer. And the Book of Common Prayer, among a great many other things, includes a comprehensive list of all the feast days and all the rites and prayers for each day, and it has an authorized liturgical calendar. 
And as for Christ the King Sunday, well, the short of it is it's just not there. It's not an authorized feast day. Now, the state of play for you all, we are after all in a Lutheran church, the state of play is more complicated. The ELCA does recognize Christ the King Sunday as an official festival day, but it has done so only since the 1970s. This is a relatively recent innovation. And other Lutheran bodies, like our friends in the Missouri Synod, for example, they still do not recognize Christ the King Sunday. So what accounts for this divergence of views about this particular day? Well, here's the backstory. It turns out that the creator, the inventor of this feast day was Pope Pius XI who was the Pope between the Great Wars. And it was in 1925, between the two wars, that he decided to issue an encyclical, an encyclical is a papal decree, announcing to the world that he was establishing something called the Sunday of the Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. And it was on that day, 1925, when the Pope did that, that Christ the King Sunday came to be. So why did Pope Pius XI create a new feast day when for thousands of years the church already had a settled church calendar that was serving our needs just fine? Well, the short answer is politics. <laughs> In the wake of the First Great War, Pius XI was, appropriately enough, concerned about the rise of totalitarian regimes, especially, as we know, in Italy, Germany, and Spain, and with the emergence of an atheistic communism in Russia. The Pope viewed these social movements not only as godless, but as demanding from people ultimate allegiances that were incompatible with the Christian faith. And so as to resist this, Pius XI created a feast day centered around Christ's reign over the universe, emphasizing that Christ's claim on our lives takes precedent over the conceits of any nation state. This new feast day became the Roman Church's dramatic day of protest, a kind of theological smackdown day of worship against the claims of all these newly emerging totalitarian ideologies. But that wasn't all. Pius XI also wanted to put the Protestants in their place. And so the Roman Church initially calendared this new Christ the King Sunday to be observed on the last Sunday in October. Now, the last Sunday in October, as you know, is Reformation Sunday. So what the Pope was up to was trying to convince the entire world that on that day we need to celebrate Christ the King, not this other stuff about Martin Luther. He was seeking to fight not only the encroachment of communism and atheistic ideology, but also the theological encroachment of all the Protestants. 
It was shrewd, if not entirely principled. It wasn't until the more ecumenically sensitive era of Vatican II in the early 1960s that the Roman Church agreed to move Christ the King Sunday from late October, when it was competing with Reformation Sunday, to now, at the end of November, at the end of the liturgical year. And when this happened, the Protestant denominations were more willing to agree to observe Christ the King Sunday, and that eventually led to ELCA, among some other bodies, not the Episcopal Church, to observe Christ the King Sunday on this particular day. The truth of the matter is many Episcopal churches do observe it, but it's not officially authorized. So there you have the strange and somewhat unseemly history behind Christ the King Sunday, and you can probably see why I feel slightly uncomfortable about celebrating it. I do want to hasten to add, however, my misgivings about the day are not because I think the church should shrink from its responsibility to speak out against oppressive political regimes of all kinds on the gospel's behalf. I mean, my heroes, after all, maybe they're yours, include Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Niemöller, Karl Barth, Oscar Romero, among others, all of whom did just that. But I do think that we risk compromising the theological integrity of our church calendar and our liturgical practices when we start monkeying with these cherished traditions for mere political ends even when they are partially justified. Why does this make a difference? Well, for one thing, the simple truth is that we really don't need a Christ the King feast day because we already have one. It's called Ascension Day, which falls on the 40th day after Eastertide and commemorates the day when the resurrected Christ ascended to heaven to take his place at the right hand of the Father, commencing the reign of Christ. It is the principal feast day dedicated to honoring the inauguration of the kingdom of God through Christ the Son, and it has been celebrated by all Christian churches, East and West, Catholic and Protestant, since ancient times. Ascension Day also has the advantage of actually being biblically grounded in the text of the New Testament. So what I'm saying is we really don't need Christ the King Sunday because we already have a Christ the King, Christ the King Day, which is Ascension Day. But my second reservation about this day is that it has this triumphalist and imperial tone to it a tone that seems fundamentally at odds with the kingdom that Jesus is all about, as evidenced, for example, in today's gospel text from Luke, a text taken from the crucifixion, a text that shows how Jesus was mocked because people were expecting him to be an earthly king, the king of the Jews, when it turned out that what Jesus was inaugurating was a very, very different kind of reign. The reign of God that Jesus inaugurates is really less of a kingdom than it is a beloved community.
For as we know, when Jesus talks about his father's so-called basileia, that's the Greek word for kingdom or reign, Jesus describes a community where the poor are, in fact, the blessed ones, where those who know grief will find laughter, where the pure of heart will see God and the peacemakers are welcomed, where the hungry will have their bellies filled, and where even the most notorious of sinners, like the thief next to Jesus on the cross, will find forgiveness if they only seek it. What we're describing, what Jesus described, the reign of God that he inaugurated is unlike any kind of earthly kingdom. And the one who brings this all about, the king of kings, so-called, he is unlike any king in human history. He is not the most powerful of men, but the son of an unwed and runaway teenager, born in the stench of a barn, a wandering teacher who insists on hanging out with all the wrong people, who touches the untouchable, loves the unlovable, forgives the guilty, seeks out the lonely, and who meets the hatred of those who oppose him, not with the violence of a sword, but with peaceable submission to a ghastly death penalty. What kind of a king is that? Now, I am humbled and grateful beyond all measure to call this uniquely divine man my king and the savior of the world, and I will gladly sing hymns of praise to him until the cows come home. But I'm not quite convinced by Pope Pius XI's argument that we need another feast day on the calendar, paying homage to his sovereign power so that the church might one-up the feckless and doomed rulers of this world. For what I hear, what I hear from my Savior's lips is not so much a desire that we worship, worship him lavishly as a king, but rather that we follow him humbly as a witness to the truth for which he gave his life. Let me end by paraphrasing a Lutheran theologian who made this observation in talking about Christ the King Sunday. If we must use the name Christ the King Sunday to describe this day, we need to be crystal clear about the very different kind of king we worship. One who demonstrated power through weakness, who manifested strength through vulnerability, who established justice through mercy, and who inaugurated his reign over the universe not by demanding a coronation, but by embracing a confused, chaotic, and violent world by taking its pain into his own body, by dying the death the world demanded, and then by rising again to remind us that light is always stronger than darkness, that love is always stronger than hate, and that God will never, ever allow the enemies of his goodness to have the last word. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.